so I have been known to make some puncture holes in the areas where the tissue gas is starting just to give the gas an uh, um, avenue of escape. Monica, I, uh, I just had a case last week. Um, I opened up the body bag and the person passed away in the middle of the night. So usually when I have an embalming the next morning, it's in the middle of the night. I have the person lay laid out on the embalming table for me. In this spe specific scenario, I open up the body bag and there was just extreme level of tissue gas. I mean, from entire side of his face going all the way down his arms like you could see that the literally like the veins pumping and you could see how that is spread throughout the body and i was i have only seen a couple of cases of tissue gas not a couple but i mean 10 in my career but this was by far the worst i've ever seen it went all the way up and down his side up and down his face and i can tell you what i did in this situation but i would love to know what you typically do in a situation where you're dealing with an intense amount of tissue gas, mm -hmm. obviously we want the person to look well represented and beautiful, but of course we're trying to kill that very contagious, bad um, thing that we have going on. So what is your typical feature that you would have for a tissue gas case? Well, I think I'm um, first and foremost, some people sometimes confuse tissue gas with subcut subcutaneous emphysema. So I always check to see whether it truly is tissue gas. Um, just, and, and I typically will treat the body regardless for tissue gas, just cause I don't want to have to be like worried at night, but I'm always curious, is right. this really tissue gas or is this subcutaneous emphysema? So I do a little bit. Of so what's the difference between, what's the difference between the two? Because I'm, I'm relatively unaware. Okay. Of that. Well, um, as far as I know, like the, um, what I understand is subcutaneous emphysema is basically just air that's gotten under the skin. And so that happens sometimes when people, um, if they're offering like a recent surgery is always like a sign. Like if there's a recent surgery on the body and you notice that there's staples or maybe the person passed away during surgery, you know, they, a lot of times okay. they pump air in there. So that is a telltale sign. So, so if there is recent surgery, I kind of lend to think that it's subcutaneous emphysema. It, emphysema, it can actually feel a lot like, um, it can feel a lot like tissue gas because it does have that little right, like, you crunchy. You feel that rice yes. crispy. Yeah, yeah. The crunchy yes. crispy. yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, but the, you know, the telltale signs of tissue gas is marbling, as you know. That's one of the things that yes. we look at is that mapping, right? Mm -hmm. If you can see the mapping from the veins yes. and then the yes. uh, rice crispy, crunchy feeling underneath the skin. Um, yeah. Subcutaneous emphysema does feel a little different than tissue gas. I, I will give it that. And until you see it, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. But now that we're talking about it, the next yeah. time you get that a case like that, you'll understand. But um for tissue gas, I would say once I've gotten past that determination of this, this is really serious tissue gas, I will tr always try mm -hmm. to disinfect the body, first of all. That's the first and foremost disinfection, trying to get all of that bacteria yep. off of the surface of the body so that I can go deep into yep. internally. But there's so many different yeah. treatments that you can use by, um, you know, so many different companies. Um, 
I do try to give the gas an um, area to escape. So I have been known to make some puncture holes in the areas where the tissue gas is starting just to give the gas an uh, um, avenue of escape. Okay. Overnight. Oh, that's interesting. Because I've, I've done that before. If I've had the abdomen very protruding with a lot of gas, I'll do that at the beginning of my embalm to release that pressure. Otherwise you're not going to get any distribution. So I never thought about it that way. Like the tissue gas needs a place to go. Um, That, that is interesting. And I, I definitely have felt that, that crispiness before in other cases, but this is definitely a more, this was definitely like the marbling case yeah. where it was like, oh my gosh, this is so, so bad. Cool. And it, you could see it. And it, yes, smell it yeah. Probably mm-hmm. too. So yes, I do that. Um, but I do that towards the end of my embalming. Once I'm completely done, I will, if it's on the arms, you know, I will make like little strategic puncture holes to give the um, uh-huh. gas an area to escape. And I will channel a little bit on those areas to give, you know, uh-huh. there's a path there for the gas to escape. In terms of I do have a a few favorite products, um, which I'm not going to give away all my secrets, but if you follow my embalming tips on Sundays, you'll find a lot of these because I do go on these little tissue gas like tangents for like a few weeks in a row. (laughs) I will focus on tissue gas, especially if I've had a case like that. Um, But there are different products by different companies. Almost every single chemical company out there offers a tissue gas retardant or eradicator. Um, yeah. Even the formaldehyde-free, yeah. eco-friendly lines, everybody has. Them. Sure, yeah. sure. Um, there's yeah. there's tons of co-inject disinfectants that you can put into yeah. your tank um, to battle tissue Absolutely. gas. So that being said, I will always put at least like 16 ounces of a tissue gas fighter in there. Um, yeah. Whatever, whatever it may be, whichever one you want. I don't know. What's your line? Yeah, I found myself. I I mix I mix it up honestly. I do use several companies mm-hmm. too, so um, I couldn't give you one or another. But what I did was during my pre injection, I did one of those tissue gas eradicators, and that definitely seemed yeah. to help. And it didn't spread anymore. But it is a scary thing as an embalmer because you know how contagious that can be. And it looks unpleasant too. So are there any ways, like, let's say it went all the way down, like, and you had it going down to the hands or like up into the faces, which what I had, are there some ways that we can make the person look presentable, like during the, or make it a little bit easier for us so that we were not having to put so much cosmetic on? Yeah. um, I would say, so the one thing I will, I will tell you all and I will reveal is that I do use a... 50 cav and inject that straight into the brain. A lot of people don't realize that tissue gas, um, 90% of the time starts in the brain. So I will, I will go through the nostril and past the cribriform plate. And you can hear that little crack, right? When you inject nostril, you'll hear that little crack and that's the cribriform plate that you're breaking through and you can inject, um, you don't, it doesn't have to be a lot, but you know, inject a fair amount, uh, maybe an an half an ounce or an ounce of, 50 cav or higher into the brain itself. And the reason I use that like 50 cav is that typically it has a, a, a drying agent. So it's cauterizing as well. So if you inject some of these uh, tissue gas eradicators in there that don't firm, it's going to leak out the nose. 
So you want something cauterizing, right? right? So you'll just push it through yes. place, yeah. inject into the brain, and that will keep the eyes from bulging out because that's one. That's our worst fear, right? Is that we're preparing this loved one, no doubt, and their tongue and their eyes protrude. That's that's what happens. Yeah. So it's the nightmare. It's a nightmare. Yeah. So in order to block that, that's what I do. I treat the brain. I always treat the brain, and then. Um, Sometimes I will inject a ring around the neck, just like a collar of cavity. Yes, I have heard that. Yep. I will inject a collar around the neck to stop it from moving into the other parts of the body. So if it's in the head, it'll block it right there. Um, or if it's coming from another area in the body, it'll block it from going to the head. Same with the wrists and the hands. Mm -hmm. I will always do like a little bracelet of um, 50 ah. around the wrist. And that seems to um, usually keep those areas from getting worse. As far as cosmetics, yeah, that's going to preserve. Yeah, as far as cosmetics, yeah, that's going to preserve like those areas uh, that were going to be visible. So, are you using a syringe, yes. like, and for both of those yes. areas, or mm -hmm. okay, you're typically yep. using a syringe. Okay, yep. that's a really good tip because that is the one thing that, of course, we we need to stop it from mm -hmm. spreading stop it from any contamination but we want to preserve those those features yeah. that we are going to be visible to the public to make sure that we're doing our best so that's a great tip i love that yeah, yeah. hypo injection is is imperative especially when it's that bad like you said that it was already coming down the cheek and the face you really want to go with something that's like heavy duty um like your your time limit has mm -hmm. passed obviously of like oh we're going to preserve this loved one like now it's like you're you're at war with that clostridium engine yep. it's, it's an all it's an all-out war that you're fighting so you have to pull out your big guns you don't play around like with your um index level and just really go full force with those cases they're yeah. tough but they can they can be brought under control for a limited amount of time like you can't stop it forever but um you can you can preserve the body you know whatever level they're at full decomp or not you can preserve the body um for a a limited amount of time yeah. for sure. So yeah, I hope that's helpful for you and, and your it, listeners. It is. And are we taking extra? Yes, of course. And are we taking extra precaution then too, as far as our PPE? I know like I typically do because I know the severity of it. So I will, I don't mean to sound like a little bit of a dork, but I'll wear double gloves yeah. and I, I'm going full go on those because I don't, I'm not yeah. messing around with those scenarios. Yeah. And I think even more so, um, what I have more fear of than anything else is I, everybody who follows me and listens that has, takes my seminars, everybody knows I wear a full, a full face respirator and I always have, um, even before the pandemic, I've always worn a full face yeah. respirator. So I don't have the, those fumes like really affecting me like the half face respirators um so absolutely i always wear full ppe but what i even pay more attention to is cross-contamination because if you have a tissue gas case in your prep room it's very very easy yep. to transfer that tissue gas from body to body and there's just so many bombers who do not take the extra time to clean and disinfect their prep rooms and their tools and their makeup brushes um, makeup brushes are like yeah. notorious for carrying really like ugly, spooky, scary bacteria Ooh. in prep rooms. <laughs> the makeup artists out yeah, in like our living world, they do pretty well about disinfecting their makeup brushes, but for some reason embalmers haven't like 
Not us in Walmart. Yeah, they haven't really been trained on how to disinfect and keep brushes clean. So um, it can be transferred that way. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really and maybe that's why. About, yeah, I put plastic down on the embalming table that I'm working on. And I try to keep everything on that plastic. And then that way I roll that up, throw it that's in the right. biohazard and just that those tissue gas cases, they're concurrent disinfection cases up until the time of weaning. Mm-hmm. So, you know, washing the body and disinfecting and spraying a little bit of little spritzer on the genitals is not going to cut the mustard. Like you have to like, you got to get in there and scrub. Yeah. Yeah, you really do have to get in there. Maybe that's why I'm a little kooky because I don't wear the full uh, <laughs> the full gear over my face all the time. So I'll take your take your yeah. word for it. I gotta keep keep on. There. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why I'm fun to listen to because I yeah. I uh, that's no. Oh, I love those tips. Those are really good, and I think that's super helpful for everyone. Um, for for our listeners, I jumped right in. This is Monica Torres of Cold Hands. Like everyone knows her, she's the best, and she's giving us some fun embalming tips here today um, from the prep room. But obviously, if you don't follow her, you got to follow her. You got to take her seminars, her classes. She's the best, and she's gonna take your embalmings to the next level. And that's how we maintain our industry standard is by amping up what we're doing in the prep room, so families can see, hey. This was well worthwhile. My loved one hasn't looked in good in this 20 years, blah, blah, blah. Our best compliment we could ever get. That's why you got to get out here. You got to do your training. You got to pay attention to the things you're doing in the prep room and learning from other people. We're so blessed nowadays that we can all talk to each other. This wasn't like this when I first started it, even 10 years ago. Now we can learn from each other and improve our industry. And Monica is uh, exemplary at that for sure. Well, thanks, Michael. I always love being a guest on your podcast. I absolutely love the content. I love all of your followers. So I do want to give a shout out to all of your listeners and everybody who is listening us to us today. Um, stay tuned. We have a lot more for you today. Yes. And I'm going to, I'm going to finish with one, uh, one more question, if you don't mind. And then we're going to tease something that we're doing in a little bit, but um, I had another scenario. This was, I think, two or three weeks ago now. This poor woman had um, a brain surgery and she was she was shaved on the front part of her head. You know, it, that's they had to for the surgery. And then the back was just absolutely caked and tangled mess from the surgery blood. And I find myself like going through and like, washing and combing repeatedly repeatedly but while i was embalming like there still was some blood coming out of their skull so i'm interested to know if you have any tips for a situation like that specifically on how we can stop that that bleeding that leakage and then what do we do if we have an a tangled nest what is my best move i i yeah. i'm i sound like such a man right now like not knowing no, proper not. proper hair care but i was using a ton of a ton of humectant and a lot of conditioner. And still yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't get this out. So uh, if you don't mind giving us a couple a couple tips yeah, on that. So, and, and don't feel bad because just because you're a dude doesn't mean that that has nothing to do with it. It really doesn't. There's a lot of women out there that I see embalmers and I'm offering training and I'm at, traveling around the country going to funeral homes and I see people yanking hair out um, and some of them are women. So we have to yeah. kind of get um, back up and we're going to get a little nerdy right now. We're going to go deep into science and talk about proteins. It. So uh, protein, hair and blood yeah. are both proteins. We know this, right? So the blood protein 
I'm getting out my text. Yeah, my, my yeah, we're gonna get real nerdy here. <laughs> the blood protein um, that bl that blood is comprised of. The only real way to like break that down is with another protein. So I try to like. I know it sounds really weird, but blood removes blood. Um, and so sometimes you can actually use the blood of the, the, the person while you're cleaning them and washing them. If it's leaking out, let that continue to leak out and actually use that blood. But you can also add a little bit of uh, Castile soap. Um, I very rarely talk about um, brands because I'm not sponsored or endorsed by any companies. But this one product I yeah. will share with your listeners, it's a product called Blood Be Gone. And I, I really love it because it's natural what? and you can even use it on like pets and babies. That's how natural it is. So okay. I feel really confident using it on like somebody's little old grandma or a little old grandpa or baby yeah. who has been, um, who has lost their life. So that blood be gone right. is made by a company called Shiva Shade. So shout out to Shiva Shade, but that it's just a Castile soap is what it is. It's a natural Castile. So okay. that Castile soap is so gentle. It's just really going to break up the, the proteins in the blood and a lot of that leftover blood that's already in there. If you don't put water on that right away, it'll help to um, take out some of that caked on blood. Okay. So I do that right. first yeah. and then I'll go through with a quality, I want to stress this, quality conditioner and shampoo. Okay. So so not one that was left over from my yeah. shower. Yeah, well, and not only that, but like a lot of funeral homes buy like the cheapest hair um, products because, um, you know, we're trying to like penny pinch really in the wrong areas, I think, when it comes to that. But if you're preparing bodies yeah. and that's your livelihood and you're, you're wanting these bodies to look the best, then you have to use the best products. And that includes hair products. So yep. um, spending a little yep. bit more money or asking, um, I'm, I'm a licensed cosmetologist, so I, I can go to the beauty supply and buy like mm -hmm. professional grade products. But um, everybody usually has a hairstylist that they go to in their small towns or wherever. So partnering with a yeah. local cosmetologist and just saying, hey, is there mm -hmm. any way like you can get me these products at cost and maybe work something out with them or whatever, um, or, you know, pay full price. It's worth it. You can get the big bugs, right. gallons yeah. of quality shampoo and conditioner and use those deep conditioners. Um, so a conditioner and a deep conditioner, especially for autopsy cases, or like you said, you have this lady that um, had this recent surgery. Those deep conditioners, yep. they really do work. And letting them sit, I always let the conditioner sit a little while while I'm bathing the body so that it has an opportunity to absorb. Yep. Yeah, that's going to help get the yep. blood out. But um, by far, Castile soap. Blood be gone. You have to have that in your in your prep room. It's blood be gone. You have to have it. Without yeah. it, Michael. It's it's in the name. Yeah. It's in the name. So tell me tell me a little bit more then. If you're using blood to get rid of blood, what do you mean specifically? Um, okay. uh, by so like um for example, many of the women that are listening will be able to understand this. But say you go get your hair colored at the hairstylist, right? And they're coloring your hair. Yep. And they might get a little bit of color, like on your forehead or your ear. Yeah, yes, I've I don't noticed know if you that because you too. probably don't get your hair colored. But many hairstylists will actually <laughs> dip a little bit of. Uh, they'll dip the um, like a a towel or whatever into the hair color that actually stained your ear or your forehead. They'll dip it back in there 
and remove the color. Color removes color. Same with same with blood. The wow. Blood remove that protein. The enzymes remove the enzymes. Um, another strange, <clears throat> another strange. I, I would never recommend doing this to a decedent, but just for science sake, saliva. The, yes. the um, enzymes in your saliva will also break down blood. Just a scientific wow. kind of. That, that's that's a new product right there. We could just spit in a jar and sell it. It does. It does. <laughs> if you if you ever if you get blood on your clothes or something or whatever, and if you spit on it and you start to rub it, you'll notice that the blood will actually start to dissipate, and it'll and then you can wash it. Yeah, it's really it's strange, but it does work. Wow, that's so. That's so interesting. And I've noticed that um, on several, several occasions where um, someone has a dye job and then you can see yes. it on the scalp or like a little bit on the ear. And I'm like, how do I get rid of this? What do I do? Is there a time frame? Do we need to do that yeah, like pretty be, quickly? Yes. Yeah, the, the color, it has to be like during the processing, right? So if you're coloring somebody's hair on the embalming table and you get a little bit of um, color on their ear or their forehead or whatever, it has to be done like most immediately. You can't let it like set in there and stain. You want to do it like as soon as possible. Right. Yeah. But um, if you want to right. get really fancy, all you have to do is put a little bit of Vaseline on the ears and around the hairline, and then you won't have that problem. Yeah, that's that's like if you're that's like if you're if you have like some the hands are in bad shape or a part of the face and you're, you're trying to cauterize and bleach it. Like that's what I'll do. And I'll use like Vaseline or like a massage cream to prevent those areas that are in good shape. So it's not spreading. So it's the same, same concept. concept as that. Same concept. Yes. Gotcha. Um, I have a fun tip for uh, other people that has nothing to do with this, but if you ever get deodorant on your shirt, like what, after you put your shirt on, you can rub it like together and it goes away. It's like magic. And I just learned this like a yeah. year ago. Yeah. You just get your shirt, yeah. you fold it up and like, it'll come off. Yeah. Absolutely. Amazing. Um, well, well, Monica. Yeah, me, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say the other thing that you can do um, that will help remove the blood is understanding the type of brush that you're using to remove the blood. So, you want to use a soft bristle, bristle brush, use a soft bristle brush, um, horsehair brush, or something okay. synthetic that is bristle. Anything else is going to rip and tear the hair. Okay. Brush oh, matters. Okay, that's great. Brush matters. Well, I, I, I should have I should have just called called you when I had these scenarios, and I would have been in good shape. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Monica, thank you so much for, for the amazing tips today. I think uh, people are going to get some value for very situations that happen all the time. Oop, that's a death call here. Hold on just a second. All right, I think the students got it. I'm sorry about that. You know, we've been seeing a lot more business come in ever since we started Mortuary Marketing. And I got to tell you, all the few homes we work with, are they're saying the same thing. So what do we do? We run ads on Google and other similar sites that get directed at families that need a funeral home in your area. It then brings them to a page that we've designed for you that gets the family to call you to inquire for your services. It's really increased our volume big time. It's working for my funeral home. And I think most parlors could really benefit from its uses. 
I put a bunch of information in the podcast description. Go check it out. I'm always happy to help talk with you and answer any questions you might have. All right, let's get back to our morbid discussion.